Welcome to the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. This podcast is about all things outdoor photography, including landscapes, wildlife, macro, and more. The show features two talented photographers, Henry Doyle and Ryan Taylor, who bring their different experiences in photography to the podcast. The show is released weekly every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so I hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. In today's episode, we have Cole Waltner on the show, a bird, wildlife, and landscape photographer based out of Montana. We talk about how Cole got into photography, the methods of hiking around the landscape he uses, and the target birds and mammals he seeks. Cole's background in hunting, hiking, and backpacking has helped him produce exceptional imagery, with which he shares his traveling experiences and skill behind the camera. Welcome back to episode 60 of the All Outdoors Photography Podcast, and today we're having a very talented wildlife photographer on the show. Yes, we have uh, Cole Waltner on the show. Uh, welcome, Cole. Uh, tell us more about your photography and your, your background and how you came to be. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. I've been listening to the show for a while, so it's quite an honor to be on. Um, so I started taking pictures in about 2013. Um, it's actually a pretty cool story. My best friend got deployed to Afghanistan, and uh, when he came back in uh, 2013, time frame he just wasn't the same um you know for um those that have been deployed you kind of understand that you know we see things you do things um stuff happens over there and sometimes it takes a little bit to adjust and he had been taking pictures for quite a while uh wildlife landscapes that kind of thing and uh he came down to where i live to visit and he uh asked if we want i wanted to go with him to take pictures and I was like, yeah, that's cool. Um, I really don't have a camera or anything. And he's like, don't worry about it. Let's just go. And we went up to a place about two hours from my house. It's got a couple of waterfalls and it's just a nice little three quarter mile hike up in the mountains. And uh, took some pictures of the waterfall, took some pictures of some birds, turned out to be, uh, I think, let's see, Clark's Nutcracker, some magpies, uh, maybe a hawk or two that was up there. And uh by the time he, we came back home, which, I, like I said, was a two-hour drive, he had completely changed. Um, he was back to the to my best friend that I, I've known and grown up with. He came back to the house. We hung out for a couple of days. He was playing with the girls, and we were out in the yard taking pictures of the birds in the yard. And I was like, wow, mm-hmm. if that's what taking pictures can do to somebody, I want some of that. Um, I've been in law enforcement for uh, almost 15 years now. And before that, I was in the military. And I've always done stuff that uh, kind of revolves around that shooting, um, tactical training, that kind of thing. So I really didn't have an outlet, you know, to something completely different. And uh, I, that, that uh, as soon as he left, I told my wife, I'm like, hey, I need to get a camera and a lens. And so I ended up getting a refurbished T3i. I think I had a 70 to 300 kit lens and I was off and running, spending every waking moment that I wasn't at work or doing family things on YouTube, learning how to shoot and what to look for and how to do it. And I've kind of been off and running ever since. Wow. That's, that's awesome. What a, what a great story. First of all, thank you and your friend for your service and what you're doing today. Uh, That's awesome that uh, you're able to, you know, take a break from that and find that through uh, wildlife photography. So. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's pretty impressive what, uh, what a few days out in the mountains can do or along the ocean or, or anywhere. I mean, Mm -hmm. as long as you're out in nature and, taking pictures, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm down. It recharges the soul, the mind, everything, and it can happen quick. Oh yeah, for sure. 
Right. Yeah. It's a lot more lower stress too, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. There's no stress involved whatsoever. Well, I'll take that back. When you have a target <laughs> bird or a target animal that you've spent months and months researching, and then you go to location and try to get it, there's a little bit of stress involved in that, but it's, it's a fun stress. Yeah, definitely. I got an adrenaline rush. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Did you have any kind of background in like animal identification or bird identification before you went out with your friend that day? Not really. Um, I've grown up hunting and I'm still an avid hunter. I love hunting. I believe that uh, we all have to do our part in conservation and hunters play a big part in that. Um, but as far as like bird identification, none of it. Um, that was kind of the the catalyst to get me into the bird stuff was that trip with my best friend up into the mountains there. And he was ratting off birds like crazy. He went to college for a biology degree and he took a couple of ornithology classes and he could name birds like you wouldn't believe. And I was like, man, I just used to call them little gray birds or <laughs> a hawk or everything was a robin or a chickadee, mm -hmm. you know? And once I saw that there's all these different species, like I think Montana has 436 recorded species. Wow. Um, I was like, holy cow, this is something new, something I can learn, something that I'll always be learning. I'll never, I'll never have it perfected. And so, uh, I just started diving into that world and learning how to ID birds, um, sound not so good yet. And like I said, I've been doing this since 2013, probably seriously since 2015. So, but visually I'm, I'm getting fairly decent at it by now. Right. It's like, that's the great thing about birding is like, you never truly get bored of it. Like there's always something new to see that may like pass through the state or, you know, better photos, maybe even of species you've already seen before. So, you know, you're always oh. learning as you go along too. Totally. And I look, I mean, I have bird feeders set up and perches set up right outside of my window and I've got the window, so there's no screen on it and I can open it up and I'm always checking, always looking, taking different pictures and different light and different perches, different behaviors. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a never ending game. And that's, what's so fun about it, especially the bird photography. I love wildlife photography, landscape photography, but the, the bird photography is just such a, I mean, it's something new every, every minute, it, you know, it can be something new. So yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, as far as I know, we've never had a hunter on the show as a guest. Um, and I know we're a photography podcast, of course, but, um, I got to ask, so how has like hunting, you know, come to play, I guess, with the wildlife photography. You know, it's, it's given me a greater appreciation for the animal. I mean, I, like I said, I understand the need for hunting and conservation and I still do it. I, I love hunting. I love everything about it, that the challenge, the, the stock, the chase, the preparation, much like in photography, you know, looking for target species. Um, and there's been a lot of times now, especially since I've been in photography that I don't pull the trigger on something. You know, I'll just be in the moment and sometimes I'll be like, man, I wish I had my camera. Um, anymore, I take my camera with me. So I have the rifle in one hand or my bow in one hand and my camera, you know, strapped around mm -hmm. my back or in my backpack for sure. But um, it's just, it's opened up the world of hunting and photography even more. I mean, it's expounded on both areas in my life. Um, and I'll probably always hunt. Um, like I said, um, I love hunting and it's, I, I see the benefit in it for everything, but, uh, like there's been times where I you know I don't pull the trigger anymore. And I just think that's kind of a natural progression, especially when you're into photography. Mm -hmm. You can kind of awesome. appreciate that behavior and, um, uh, you know, that'll carry over to your next hunt, to your next photograph, even if you just sit there and watch it. So yeah, awesome. absolutely.
Yeah. Yeah. And they always say like learning, especially is like you want to do direct observation, like, and just kind of take a step back and not really be so concerned about the photos, but just really observe their behavior. Um, it helps you really learn and be better about like birding in general too. Oh yeah, totally. And birding has actually helped me become a better archery hunter. I mean, I've learned how to stalk and sneak and crawl and all sorts of stuff just to get a picture of a bird and it's kind of translated over into archery hunting too. So it's kind of a win-win for me. Yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, it helps both things. It's almost like harmonious. How the, the relationship between the two uh, really helps out and improves your skill at both. Yeah. And I'd imagine there's some like combination of equipment too, like your camo gear, I would imagine, and blinds and stuff. Totally. Yeah, I use the same the same clothing that I wear hunting. I wear on my photography trips. Um, you know, I do have to pack a little bit more gear now that I take both with me during hunting season. So I've got a couple of, you know, tripods that I normally wouldn't carry um, the camera gear itself, you know, instead of having a little point and shoot, I'm rolling around with a 6D or a 7D Mark II or, you know, something of that nature. And then I usually have a 70 to 200 and a 16 millimeter, maybe a 50 and then all your hunting stuff on top of it. So my pack's a little bit heavier, but it's totally worth it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you said 70 to 200 there. Is that like your, your longest lens? Is that no, no, oh, okay. I have an 800. I switched to mirrorless about a year ago hmm. and, uh, ended up getting that 800, oh, cool. um, Canon RF F11. Uh -huh. And it's actually been a pretty great lens for the kind of stuff I like yeah. to do. Um, my big experience with my first experience with it was, uh, in Belize last March. And I ended up doing a, a vacation. And then I added three and a half days of just a birding trip on top of it and, uh, went into the jungle and, um, and was able to walk around for three and a half days and not have any issues with the the weight. I mean, it's such a lightweight lens. And the F11 with the R6 and the capabilities at higher ISO, I really didn't see a big issue with it. Um, you know, if you're pixel peeping, obviously, but um, as far as printing pictures on 1624s, you know, even a little bit bigger than that, um, you know, editing, light editing and, and run it through denoise if you have to. And I've had great results with it. Yeah, that's awesome. I had the uh, 600 for about a year. Um, I did upgrade to the 1 to 500, uh, but that 600 it was great. You know, people overlook that F11 just because of that aperture, but um, you can right. really and get some great pictures. You can. And I, you know, I was able to get some really good bokeh with it too. I mean, mm -hmm. if you have a little bit farther of a background away, and I've got some, I think I may have sent you a picture of the uh, red crossbill and it's the. Uh, the background is a couple of aspen trees that are golden yellow and the the bokeh was actually pretty nice, you know, with the bird in the uh -huh. in the front and the in the blurry background. So yeah, I'm yeah. I'm happy with it. Mm -hmm. And those are pretty darn lightweight too, so I'm sure it helps when you're out hiking for miles and miles. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, yeah so crossbow shot's very clean. Yeah, I could definitely see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how much, you know, hiking, backpacking and traveling goes into that photography? You mentioned, you know, like a Belize trip. How often like do you travel around uh, to take the photos you take? So it just depends. I'm really lucky. I live two and a half hours from Yellowstone Park. So I'm there all the time. I probably do 15 to 20 trips to Yellowstone a year, um, mostly in the winter. I love the winter photography in Yellowstone. Um, and then I try to do a couple of bird photography trips in the spring during the migration. I've done Arizona. Texas, Belize. I'm going to do Dauphin Island here in a couple of months. And then later this fall, I'm going to Nepal for three weeks. So 
you know, it's about three to four trips a year, just kind of depending on what I'm feeling at the time. And then it depends what my best friend wants to go and do. We usually meet up for one of the bird photography trips. It's awesome. Yeah. Do you plan it around like migrations and all that stuff too? Oh yeah, totally. Totally. Dauphin Island, we're trying to get to get down there right during uh warbler migration. Awesome. And are you, uh, cool. are you looking for bird species in Nepal there or is that more of a landscape trip? Or? No, it's more of a landscape trip landscape. And I've always wanted to go to Nepal. I've been really obsessed with the culture and the history of the Nepalese people and when I was 18 and just graduated high school, I told my parents, I said, when I turn 40, I'm going to go to Nepal. And a few years later, I met my wife and I told her that too. I was like, when I turn 40 for my 40th birthday, I'm going to Nepal. And then this year I turned 40. So in October, my trip is booked and heading to Nepal. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And it'll be landscape. I'm going to think, I'm thinking I'm going to take a 70 to 200 and then probably a 16 millimeter and mm-hmm. work with those two lenses and see what I can get. Um, I am taking the 800 because after I go through the Himalaya and uh, back to Kathmandu, I'm going to go down to the jungle for oh, wow. three days. And awesome. Then that'll be birds and elephants and mm-hmm. tigers and caiman and that kind of thing. I mean, and there's always a chance of a snow leopard too. I know how elusive those are, but you know, that's the yeah. area to see them. Totally. That would be a phenomenal trip on its own just to go yeah. even have a chance at a snow leopard. And I think there's about three or four companies that are doing guided trips for- oh, cool snow leopard right now and they're not cheap but i think they'd be they'd be a ton of fun mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome yeah what, what kind of lands, uh, landscapes in particular would you be taking down there like waterfalls or just like what's the topography like um well the himalayas are you know the tallest mountains in the world obviously um a lot of the stuff i'm looking for is uh sunrise sunsets along the high peaks there trying to get some of that alpine glow um, in October, there's not a whole lot of drama in the sky, um, but I wanted it. I know I didn't want to be there during monsoon season when you get the drama, obviously. And then uh, a lot of the villages in the foreground with your mountains in the background, that's kind of what I'm looking for. It's cool. Is there a favorite place you've been to that you traveled so far? Hmm. Favorite place. Most memorable or maybe your best photos or um, any cool stories with them, maybe? Man, I'd have to... Honestly, I know this is going to sound cliche and I'm sure you've heard it before, but it's pretty much every time I go out, you know, there's yeah. always something I take away from it. You know, um, anytime I get to go with my best friend Zane on a trip, like we went out to Oregon last April and it rained and snowed on us for a couple of days, you know, three of the four days we were there, but we came away with some great photos. Um, we were always, we were able to nail the target birds that we wanted. So, I mean, that was a great trip. Um, I had a really good time in September with elk during the rut um, in Northeastern Montana. And I got to shoot with a really uh, a photographer that I've wanted to shoot with for a long time. And he kind of mentored me a little bit there for, for a day and a half. So, I mean, that was a great experience. Um, Texas was great. Belize was great. I mean, anytime, anytime I'm out shooting, I'm having a good time. So yeah. That's a good attitude, honestly. It's just, I, I've told people before when they ask me, like, what's your favorite bird? And I'm like, the one that's in front of my lens. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's a good mindset because it's just, it opens it up to like, everything's in a way kind of like equal you know, everything's yeah. just good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do say I did get a peregrine Falcon a couple years ago and I was just Ooh. driving down the road out at a wildlife management area, about 30 minutes from my house and saw this peregrine on this gas line post. It says there's a gas line running across the road and I was able to stop my car, get out, set up and take pictures of him. And he just sat there and let me do it. So, I mean, that was a pretty cool experience to get a, 
Peregrine and I was able to get him full frame without any cropping. I mean, he was right off the road. I mean, that's, so that was kind of cool. Um, the snow goose migration that comes right through Montana and we get, you know, 12, 15, 18,000 at a time that come through in Northwestern Montana. I go there every spring to get pictures of that. That's pretty, that's a pretty impressive few days. I mean, like I said, it's just like anything that's in front of the lens is, is a good time. Yeah. I think that's a great attitude um, for sure. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of the, the bigger game you've shot in the past? Like, uh, you know, the elk, I know you mentioned that and what's kind of your favorite species there to work with. Oh, I, I have a love affair with elk. Honestly, I love elk during the rut. I mean, there's just so much behavior. Um, you know, the bulls are fighting each other. The cows are constantly chirping and talking. Bulls are pushing each other around and bugling, you know, 24 hours a day. So that's, that's an adrenaline rush in its own. Um, second favorite would be bighorn sheep. We have a lot of bighorn sheep around here and then closer to Yellowstone. And I try to hit that during the rut as well, um, December, January. And I've got to spend four or five hours at a time with three and four rams that are button heads. And I'm the only one out there, you know, I'm hiking up and trying to find them and just spending hours with these rams that are doing their thing, you know, and I'm 20, 30 yards away from them. That's, that's a pretty intense time. Wow, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. When you do these trips, do you like camp out? Do you have like a tent or a hammock or are you like out of a car? Like what's your setup maybe with that? Just depends. Um, so when I went to Northeastern Montana, the weather's really, really good. Usually it's actually too hot normally. Um, so I'll just crash in the back of my forerunner. Um, I've got it set up to where I can throw my sleeping bag and a pad in there. And then I cook on a little, you know, um, gas stove and, mountain house it and that kind of thing um i do a lot of backpacking um if it the weather's going to be fairly decent i'll just throw my sleeping pad on the ground and sleep under the stars i do have a ultralight floorless tent that i use too if i'm going to go into the back country um so it kind of just depends on what i'm doing like i said i live two and a half hours from yellowstone so i can do a day trip and you know it's not that big a deal but if i do stay it's usually either in my forerunner or in a sleeping bag so I, I've heard that Yellowstone's been getting like more and more crowded, you know, the past couple of years, especially with the, the pandemic and, you know, it reopening. Um, do you have a lot of problems with crowds or, you know, back in the back country, is it remote enough or what's been your experience there? Definitely more people. Um, you know, like four or five years ago, I would go in the wintertime and if I saw 15 other photographers, I mean, it was a busy day. You know, you have your wolf watchers that are there all the time. That's a given but your actual photographers, you know, 15, 20 was a busy day. And now it's about three times that during the winter on the Northern range where you can drive the road between uh, Gardner and uh, Cook City, Montana. Um, and then in the summer, it's insane. It's, it's mm -hmm. hard to go to Yellowstone in the summer anymore. Yeah. Um, I quit. I usually quit going about end of May um, after the bears are pretty much all out of hibernation and they start rubbing. So their hides don't look as, as nice. Um, I'll probably quit going to the park then and then not go back until mid September. Oh, wow. It's usually how I do it, but yeah, the summer months are just insane mm -hmm. anymore. Um, I don't know how they're going to address it. Something's going to have to be done, you know, maybe a permit system kind of like Yosemite does or a bus system where they park outside of the park and then ride inside the park, like Yosemite. I don't know something, but mm -hmm. something's going to have to change. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful place. I want everybody to see it and enjoy it, but it's, it's getting pretty crowded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with that, it, 
it's a lot of exposure to those animals too. I've seen, you know, video clips of people going right up to bison and right up to elk and it's getting pretty concerning. I definitely agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, they are pretty acclimated to people, but I mean, they're still getting some kind of pressure and, you know, I'm sure it's affecting the animals as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. But. So do you, do you have any like closer locations to you that you like going to, or is it kind of just Yellowstone? Oh, no, I can, I can go five minutes from my house and be taking pictures of elk, antelope, deer, awesome. um, birds, or, you know, we have a birding hotspot a minute and a half from my house, um, down along the river. Um, and then we've got a wildlife management area, 20 miles North of my house. So, I mean, yeah, I can go, I can go everywhere. And I do, you know, like I said, I'm out two or three times a week. Sometimes I don't, you know, make one shutter actuation on the camera. Sometimes I come home with 2000. It just kind of depends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me at least, I don't know if you find this, um, but even if I don't take a picture, it's worth it. You know, I'm gaining new knowledge or just, you know, spending time out in nature. So, oh, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the best part at the end of the day with it, too. Um, kind of touched upon it there for a moment, but uh, how does like conservation play into your photos? Are you more of like a like an artist type photographer or do you like to really drive point drive the point home of like conservation with your your images? Oh, obviously, I think any photographer wants to wants to make it uh, do the best they can with light. I mean, I, re I I'm really big fan of, you know, dark backgrounds, lighted subject, that kind of thing, you know, some silhouette type stuff. But I, if you look at my stuff, it's act it's more conservation oriented, a little bit more documentary oriented. And some of that's just because of time constraints. I mean, with my job and shift work, I can't always get out at morning or early night, but I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm going to work with what I have, obviously. I'd say it's working for you. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. That's that's great. Did you choose where to live, like, because of the close proximity, like Yellowstone and all the places around you, or is it just kind of like, you know, happenstance that that's where you live? Oh, no, I grew up here. Okay. Oh, cool. So, yeah. No, I grew up in a small town in South Central Montana, and I mean, we've been an outdoor-oriented family ever since I can remember. I mean, we would spend our summers camping. My uh, my parents would load up a wall tent and a pickup, and we would go find a place and camp every weekend growing up. My cousins and I and my their families, we would all do the same thing. We would just go camping, fishing, and then hunting season would roll around. We'd go hunting, and my grandfather always had a camera with him. He still does. He's... 90 some years old and he wow. still takes a camera with him wherever he goes that's you know? awesome and so it's always been in our family you know we've always been an outdoor oriented family so it was just kind of natural once i got out of the military i was going to come back home anyway i kind of missed the mountains here and the the slow pace that we have in montana and so i, I knew i was going to come back here and it just so happened that the uh i went to college to be a teacher and i just really wasn't feeling it and somehow ended up in law enforcement and so I, I'm a sheriff's deputy here for the county that I live in, and it's been a pretty good ride so far. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, people I've talked to that have been from Montana, they say like the same thing is like you're within minutes of mountains. Like there's always something outdoorsy to do all year, and it's it's just you know it's awesome to be there. Yeah, it's a it's a great place, especially if you're into the outdoors for sure. I say that, and then you always get angry when people mo move in, you know. But <laughs> there's there's a lot of Montana, so I'm not mm -hmm. too worried about it. Yeah. Yeah, you'd be spread out enough, yeah. Yeah. Have you checked out uh, Glacier National Park at all? It's probably more north have, than you, but... Yeah, Glacier's about a six-and-a-half-hour drive. I've been there a couple of times. Um, 
I think three years ago, maybe was the last time I was there though. Cool. So, but I do go to Glacier like every three or four years we go up there. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. I have a aunt that lives up there and it seems like it's amazing. I definitely got to make it up there eventually. Yeah. For photography, it's, um, there's really not too many places in the world. I think that are as photogenic as Glacier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what about bears with, um, you know, your photography, I know there's a big stigma around them, but what have, what has your experience been, um, uh, you know, with grizzly and black bears? I've never had any issues with them. I've backpacked in all over Montana my entire life. And, um, I've had bears go through my camp. I've had bears walk by my tent. Um, I've actually, um, actually hunting about three years ago, I was elk hunting and, was in this north slope that was full of timber and really thick and i jumped over a log and there was a black bear sleeping underneath it oh wow and i hit the i hit the ground he jumped up and got on his hind legs and i my eyes were probably as big as my head and he looked at me i looked at him and he ran down the hill and i mean that was i mean that was the closest i've ever been to a bear that was probably 15 20 feet i've never had any and i don't bears don't really bother me um they're going to be bears. And mm -hmm. as long as you're out doing what you do and do it safely, then I don't really think you're going to have an issue. So, yeah. And if you have an encounter, then you're going to have an encounter. So there's really nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. That's a great perspective for sure. Yeah. It's all about being sensible, which a lot of people, I don't think they are sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I take the precautions necessary, especially in the back country, you know, I'll hang my food away from my tent. I don't cook near my camp. If I go, if I'm fishing, you know, I'm going to fish away from my camp if I can help it. Um, those kind of things. So, I mean, it's not like we're inviting bears into our camp, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, they're just being bears. And if you take the precautions necessary, then, you know, I'm, I'm not too worried about it. Have you done a lot of photography with bears? Not, not a whole lot. Um, obviously in the park in the spring, um, I've got quite a few black bear photos of, uh, from Yellowstone park, a few just outside of the park. Um, grizzly bears and I for photography seem to have a love hate relationship. Um, one day in the park, I saw 17 grizzly bears and I didn't have Whoa. one that came out with a decent photo. I mean, they were just too far away or the foreground was crappy or the sun was wrong or, you know, I got too excited and my settings were messed up. So, I mean, I just have a love hate with grizzly bears, but. So yeah. Is there any other like, uh, favorite stories, I guess, from out in the field that you'd like to share? Favorite stories, man. I don't know. How do you, how do you guys do it? How do you guys pick a favorite story? I mean, like I said earlier, I just, every time I'm out, it's just for one, I'm blessed to be able to do it. I mean, there's people that never get to experience what we experience, mm -hmm. you know, they'll never watch the behavior of a black-throated blue or a black-throated gray or a robin for that matter. I mean, they just go about their lives yeah. kind of blinded by what everything, everything's around us. And so I, I don't take any of that for granted. I take every opportunity to absorb it all in. And especially in my line of work. I mean, I could go to work tomorrow and not come home. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the reality of the job I do. And so any opportunity I get to absorb that, and especially the nature around me, I'm going to do it. And so... I try not to make a favorite one, I don't think, just because to me, every time is a favorite. You know, we, like we said earlier, every time out, there's going to be something that we're going to take away from it that's going to enlighten us, educate us, um, you know, something in that nature. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it's hard to pinpoint just a favorite. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it's nearly impossible. I guess you just kind of like have to, with each photo, there's a story, I think, and you just kind of have to sort through them. But, you know, that would take years for me, at least, I'm sure for you as well. Yeah, totally. I mean, I do like one of my earliest memories of, of photography is with my, we were backpacking with my grandparents when my grandmother was still alive. And we were nine, 10 miles back and we went to these backcountry lakes and my grandfather was taking pictures. And I think I was eight or nine years old. And my uh my grandpa was like we need to get some water so they went out on these rocks and was filtering water out of the lake well my grandmother slipped and fell and the camera was around her neck for some reason and instead of asking if she's okay or anything like that my grandpa was like is the camera okay bonnie is the camera okay and i'm like whoa you know even at nine years old i'm like i think you're supposed to ask if she's okay you know and all he was concerned about was his camera because we're nine miles back and he wants to take pictures you know at sunset and so that's one of my earliest memories of, of being, you know, around photography. And it was probably just kind of a matter of time before I got into that and got to that point. And now it's, like I said, it's just, it's consuming. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't know, you know, like I said, I turned 40 this year. And so you kind of be like, man, I, I could be halfway through my life. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? I mean, there's all these questions that come up, but man, when I pick up a camera or walk by my computer and see my cameras and lenses sitting there and I'm just like, yeah, that's right. I know I'm supposed to be doing that. And so, like wow. I said, it's just every time is, you know, something amazing. Yeah, that's that's awesome. It's great you have that feeling uh, with your work. Um, in regards to, like, where you see yourself going with photography, do you think it'll always stay a hobby or do you ever want to make it a career? Or what's your plan with that? You know, I don't I don't know. I'm, I've sold pictures. I'm, I've been uh, lucky enough to have three billboards now. Um with my pictures on them that different um, companies have bought and used. And so I mean, that was kind of cool. I've been on the cover of a couple of different tourism magazines for the state of Montana. And I got been published in about a half a dozen or more magazines outside of the cover. And so I've sold some pictures obviously for that kind of stuff. And then I have people that buy uh, metal prints or canvases, you know, probably, you know, a dozen or so times a year. I mean, I make enough money with that kind of thing to buy a new lens every year or, you know, every other year buy a camera body. So, um, but to make it a full-time career, I don't know. I mean, it's such a hard thing to do, especially in 2022. I mean, there were over 2 billion photos taken in the world in 2021. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's hard. That's a lot of competition, yeah. you know? So to stand out among 2 billion photos to make a career out of it, you got your work cut out mm -hmm. for you, but yeah, we'll see. I'm not going to say no, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At least you're open to the opportunity, but yeah, I, I agree where it's like, especially with photography, it's become so much like the tools are so much more universal. And like, so the, of course the number of people doing it, it's grown exponentially as well. So yeah, it's definitely yeah. Like, you know, a stiff market to get into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with the technology now, I mean, you read about people picking up an R5 or an R6. And I, I reference Canon because that's what I've shot my entire time in photography. But I mean, it, it doesn't have to be brand specific, but you can pick one up, watch YouTube for two hours and go out and take decent photos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You know, so I mean, it's it's definitely hard to get into. I mean, I, 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 uh, I applaud those that are making it a career and starting out now and doing it or even five years ago, you know, and then, May, uh, you know, totally cool to see the guys that have been doing it for 20, 30 years and adapting to the technology and still pushing out images like crazy, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you yeah. experimented with the, the video side of things at all? You know, I have a whole file on my computer right now full of video 
and oh, cool. that's pretty much as far as it goes. Mm -hmm. My video editing skills are pretty minimal. Yeah. But um, out in the field, I do take some video. Um, I just, like I said, I don't know. I'm not really not into the editing part of the video yet. So they just sit in a file right now, but mm -hmm. it's fun. Yeah. I mean, with me too, like I, I feel like when I'm out there, I always think stills first. Like even if it might be a better video clip, I always like, oh, I have to stop this. I need to get the still. I don't know if you found that. No, I'm always a stills first guy. Yeah. yeah. So what I was, what I was shooting the elk rut this fall with the, uh, the photographer, I don't know if you've heard of him, Ron Hayes out of Wyoming. He's oh yeah. I'd love their podcast. Phenomenal, yeah. Phenomenal. Uh, -huh. uh photographer yeah they have a great podcast Favorite too. Podcast i shot with him time, for sure yeah it's a great uh -huh. podcast i actually talked to him today for a little bit but awesome. uh so he was up there with me shooting uh the elk rut and uh, he did a ton of video and he was like i said kind of mentoring me a little bit on, on that kind of stuff and so i got to see some of it but it's the time behind the computer that i'm struggling with but i definitely mm -hmm. go out and and do shoot a little bit of video or cool. i'll shoot some bird behavior video just in the yard just to mm -hmm. just to have it and I'll work on it someday. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, with the convenience of like DSLRs, I mean, you can't just flip it to video mode pretty quickly. Like I, I had, a, you know, focus in on a bird or something perched somewhere and I'll just flip the video and get a few, you know, like a minute clip from it too. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I've got, I'll do the same thing, but I'm, I'm a definitely a stills first guy. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot to juggle though, honestly. So yeah, I, I totally get that too. I mean, oh. it's just wherever you want your focus at. Yeah. And then in like regards to like image editing for stills, do you, do you do like heavy editing or what's your process there? Not really. I've never been a heavy editor. Um, I'm pretty much a Lightroom guy. Um, mm -hmm. If I have to go into Photoshop, I will. But if most of my images I can, I can knock out in Lightroom in about a minute and a half, two minutes max. So I do use a little bit of denoise and, and sharpen on the Topaz plugins once in a while. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, I try to get it right in camera. Yeah. Uh, someone someone told me that a long time ago, and I was just starting. If you can get it pretty much right in camera, then then you're doing all right as a photographer. Mm -hmm. So that's always my goal. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I've never found a slider in Lightroom that like replaces the golden light in the morning or you know soft light on an animal. So no, not at all. Yeah. Plus, it takes so much work to like clone out tree branches too. You know, that's always a pain. Yeah. If you look at some of my images, you'd be like, dude, you should have cloned that branch out well yeah but that yeah. was the setting i mean mm -hmm. right right you know for me and and for me as as a as you know into the birds quite a bit and as a birder i mean a lot of my pictures are for documentation purposes just like hey i got that bird and so i'm not gonna edit out a, a branch or something like that now if somebody messages me and be like hey i'd really like to put that on my wall then we'll visit about it and i'll be like hey i can take that branch out um you know we'll give a little bit more of a frame to your bird or something like that mm -hmm. then yeah I'll, I'll do that if the client wants me to but i'm just i have a hard time manipulating a photograph like that because i want it to represent what i saw not yeah. what i wish i would have seen right yeah it's almost like a stylistic choice too of like i want to keep it natural you know yeah. unless if someone was to buy it like you said you know, frame yeah. or hang on the wall. Yeah. And I totally get why people do it. I mean, um, a lot of the photographers that I visit with and I, I talk to and, and I kind of aspire to, to, uh, learn from, you know, they have clients that have a pretty, you know, this is exactly what I need and this is how I need it. And so I, I totally get the, the photo manipulation when it comes to that kind of thing. But as far as my own personal preference, if I can keep it as natural as I saw it, then that's what I want to do. Yeah. 
100%. Yeah. So I know you touched upon gear, but is there anything like additional that you use? Um, do you use like stability, like tripods, monopods at all or anything else? Yeah, I do. I mean, obviously for landscape, you know, I'm packing around a couple of different tripods if I'm in the back country. So I went on a 30 mile through hike like three or four years ago, 30 mile through hike through the Beartooth mountains. And my pack weighed like 46 pounds. Well, then I added my camera gear and I had this crazy heavy Manfrotto tripod at the time and made my pack weigh almost 60 pounds. I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I kind of realized quickly if I want landscape stuff in the back country that you're going to have to spend some quality money and get a, you know, lightweight carbon fiber tripod. And now I've got two carbon fiber tripods, one for landscape, one for when I'm doing wildlife, um, carbon fiber heads, the whole nine yards. So I do use it. I'm pretty impressed with the R6 and the the 800 setup or any of the RF lenses anymore where you can shoot handheld. I mean, down to one twentieth of a second and oh, get yeah. totally usable mm -hmm. images, you know. Even video too, I find. Yeah. Yeah. I think I took some video up in uh with the elk in September and I was handheld and they I mean the video looks good as far as when it's on my computer. So mm -hmm. Yeah, I think technology's changing so fast it's great to see for sure. Yeah. But yeah, gone are the days where you're packing around a 35 pound tripod to take landscape pictures, that's for sure. Oh yeah. And a 13 pound 600 F4 or whatever, you know. That's Yeah. Exhausting. But if somebody was still if somebody was going to give me a heavy 600 mm. f4 i'd probably take it and suffer yeah yeah i yeah. totally agree there <laughs> you get used to the weight of it i think uh, yeah. oh totally, totally. <laughs> yeah we'll but cut you, that part get... out <laughs> yeah just kidding yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get the dreaded warbler neck too especially yeah yeah i will say and uh, i'm i'm happy that i didn't have a heavy lens when i went to belize and we were you know hiking through the jungle for had 12 hours looking for different birds i was like you know this lightweight setup was so nice Mm -hmm. The uh, the guy that I had with me, he's like, most people make it two hours and we have to be done. They can't carry their gear. I'm like, let's <laughs> keep going yeah. all day. So I will say that's where this, you know, this 800 and the R5 and the R6 kind of shine. I uh -huh. think if you're into that kind of photography, for sure. Yeah. I'm Just curious about, oh, sorry, Brett. I don't know why we, we cut each other off so much tonight. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. You go ahead. Sorry. I don't even know what I was going to say. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm curious uh, about that Belize trip. Like the bird species there just must have been amazing, like completely different from, you know, what you uh, came from. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So there's just, obviously it's, you know, Central America. So there's going to be different species than what we're used to way up here in, in Montana. But I was surprised to notice that there was a lot of similar species between Belize and when I went to Texas uh, the year before. Mm. Um, you know, I'm kind of big on the trogon species. I don't know if you guys are familiar with, uh, we have elegant trogons in the, in Arizona and Texas. They're, um, I don't know, maybe a 13, 14 inch bird. They kind of sound like a howler monkey to me, but, uh, mm. we have them in Texas and Arizona. And I got, I, I chased some down in, in, uh, Arizona with, uh, Zane when we went to Arizona for birds. And then in Belize, they have like five different species of trogon and I was able to find three. So that was kind of cool. And then uh, they have a ton of tanager species and I love tanagers. You know, we have the, uh, we have tanagers here in Montana, um, you know, just the one species, but down there, I think I was able to get five different tanagers, wow. I think. Um, and then the shorebirds are completely different. 
um, limpkins. I guess we get limpkins in Florida, but I've never mm. seen them before in my travels to the Gulf, like in Texas or anything like that. But I was able to get limpkins in Belize, uh, three different species of kingfisher, kingfishers, um, you know, so the wow. bird species were amazing. And I didn't even touch the surface. I mean, there were, there were places I wanted to go that I didn't get to go because they were closed because of the pandemic. Mm hmm so I'm definitely going to go back in a couple of years. Um, after Nepal, I'm going to do Alaska for birds and bears, and then cool. uh, probably probably go back to Belize or Costa Rica for something like that for birds for sure. Yeah, that's amazing. I, um, that jungle environment, though. I mean, I've heard it can be a little bit tough to work in. You know, as far as like light and you know, kind of all the the warm humidity and all of that. Like, how did you deal with that? And was it too much of a challenge? You know, the light was the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. I mean, your the canopy was, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, it felt like it was eight o'clock at night in some places. Oh, wow. And so it was good and bad. I mean, I could get some pretty good pictures without harsh light because the canopy was so thick. And then at times you're like, man, I wish I had a little bit more light to work with type of deal. Um, the hiking wasn't really that bad. Um, a lot of the places that I was at turned out to be um, ancient Mayan ruins. And so... Of course, there's a ton of jungle growth, but there was a little bit more terrain, a little bit more hilly and stuff like that because they were overgrown ruins. And uh, so there was some topography there that you could work with. And, uh, you know, it was hard to see birds. You know, I would totally recommend having a guide when you're down there, at least your first time, because, I mean, he was able to point stuff out that I could never imagine seeing. I mean, you know, I found a, I think it was a kite, you know, so I mean, it's a fairly big bird and he's like, Hey, it's right there. And it took me like five minutes to find it. You know I mean, it's just because there was so much thick jungle, but uh, totally fun to shoot in way different than, you know, shooting in the mountains up here or, you mm -hmm. know, in, uh, in the plains and the sagebrush out here in Montana, but a fun challenge that was totally worth it. And I'll do it again for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Um, where in Alaska are you looking at going to, uh, I'm going to Nome next summer. So I'm curious if, it's yeah, that's there. the area that I was looking at oh, cool. was Gnome. Awesome. For, for birds, especially. Yeah, I'm doing a birding tour. I'll have to give you some of my notes there. Heck yeah, that'd be appreciated. So Of course, yeah. Totally. And then I'd love to go to Katmai for bears. Oh, that's, yeah. That's so high on my list. I mean, it's it's going to happen within the next three years for sure. Katmai is going to happen. So. Cool. Yeah, it's that's awesome. that's the brown bears, right? Yeah, yeah, the Alaska cool. brown bear. It's cool how much like diversity you have in all your like your wildlife photos and everything. Like you really choose to like shoot a little bit of everything, which is really cool. Yeah, and that's something that some of my mentors have been like, you know, for for portfolio purposes. You know, it's always good to like hone in on something and try to perfect it. And I I just can't wrap my head around that yet. You know, I just I'm a, I'm such an opportunist when it comes to wildlife and, and bird photography and in landscape photography. I mean, I'll be shooting an elk and then I'll, I'll look up and I'm like, Oh dude, I need to get the picture of that light on that mountain. And I'll totally switch. And, you know, it's probably my ADD or something like that, of course. But, uh, I just, I can't wrap my hand around focusing on just one thing. You know, I'm, I'm totally an opportunist when it comes to wildlife photography. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't even really think it's something to really grow out of. Like, honestly, it's like, just use that to your advantage, really. Because, yeah, it is easy to get bored sometimes of doing the same thing if you specialize, you know, some kind of genre or like some kind of uh, discipline of like a, uh, like a subject or something. So, yeah, and I don't think I will. I, I, I will probably say I'll always gravitate more towards, towards bird photography. 
Um, especially when you guys, when you have guys like Theodore and Ray and Scott that come away with phenomenal oh, bird yeah. photos and just to have a chance to be like, I want to get something similar to that one day. I mean, just the challenge in that alone is something that I'll never perfect. So definitely cool guys to, you know, aspire to shoot similarly to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. definitely birds are my, birds would probably be what I, I gravitate towards the most just because there's so many different species and you know, one day you can shoot a chickadee doing this and then the next day a completely different behavior. And it, you know, so that's kind of the, the draw for me for that is it's always changing. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's like, there's never a dull moment all year too. Like there's always something going on or some kind of sighting or observation to have too. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like I was even in LA for work a few years ago on something I had to do for work and I'm out in the parking lot chasing around hummingbirds. Wow. my camera you know so i mean there's oh you can no matter where you're at you know you can take pictures of, of birds so mm -hmm. that's kind of another draw for me do you get a lot of like migration species through montana we do um we get quite a bit of the uh like i said we get the big snow goose migration that comes mm -hmm. through here yeah. it's like one of their main stops is in northeast or northwest montana um like i said we can get flocks of 12 to fifteen thousand for two or three or four days on end. Um, we get quite a few warbler species that come through here. Um, so we do have a pretty good migration. Awesome. Obviously not as good as like, you know, the Midwest, obviously, but mm -hmm. enough for me for sure. <laughs> enough to keep you busy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I said, there's 436 recorded species in the state of Montana and I've got about 200 and some left to go. So I'll be that's, busy for a while. That's awesome. Do you use like eBird at all or any like yeah. apps like that? No, nope, I use, I'm man for research purposes. I'm on eBird all the time. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to a location, I'll spend months on eBird. Um, yeah. and then that's a great way for me to, to document my, my lists and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So I think I'm, I'm pretty active on eBird. Um, that's addicting in itself too, completely outside of photography. Holy oh, cow. Yeah. Definitely. It gets you excited yeah, you guys, too. Yeah. Do you guys use eBird? Oh yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yep. Yeah, I, I feel like I'd be so much farther behind, like years behind even with like sightings, my life list and all that. Like if I didn't have eBird. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. I Like I said, then that's that's another thing about bird photography that's so fun, you know, at least for me, is, is the research. You know, when you have a dozen target species and, uh, you know, you're spending the time researching them and looking at, you know, counts and where they're seen and all this stuff and then what they like what trees they like you know like in, in the mm -hmm. midwest i mean i'm probably where you guys are at but like so many warblers like are drawn towards hemlock yes you know and mm -hmm. like i would have never imagined learning about trees so i could take pictures of birds but it's it's totally happening mm -hmm. and just i i don't know maybe it's the educator in me because i wanted to be a teacher at one point i just love that that research and the preparation for, for bird photography and, and wildlife, the elk, the deer, yeah. the bighorn sheep, antelope, all of it. But man, just the bird stuff is, mm. is so much fun. Like, um, elf owls, you know, the smallest owls. Um, I was able to get elf owls in two States in the, in the U S so far. Awesome. Just researching to find those was, was fun. Um, green jays in, in South part of Texas, varied buntings down in Texas, painted buntings. Wow. I mean, just, just the research for all of them has been so much fun. Yeah, see these these birds, all the ones you just mentioned, are completely new for Ryan and I. Like just with our the part of the country we live in, so that's awesome with that big diversity. Yeah. yeah. And what are your guys? I'm just curious. What are your guys' life list? Do you know off the top of your head? Oh, I think mine's like 176. I think last I checked. Mine's uh, so. 118. 
Uh, I started like serious birding like a year and a half ago, so still growing. Yeah, that's not that's not bad. Like I said, I probably started. Rec- I think I re- started recording an eBird in like 2016, mm, and that's I think bad. I'm at four four hundred and thirty six maybe. Wow, that's that's an amazing life list Impressive. right there. Yeah, you know, uh-huh. I think like when I went to Texas, I was able to get like 130 uh-huh. new birds. Wow. Yeah, when I go to Nome, I, I like calculated it. There's like a potential to get like 230 species, like almost yeah. easily, like just in a week. So, yeah, and I think Belize, I was there, like I said, for three and a half days, and I think I came away with 110, maybe. Wow. Uh, but if there were places I could have gone that weren't that were closed because of the pandemic, I probably could have got close to 200. Awesome. So, yeah. Uh, that sounds reasonable. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like the more you travel, especially out of state, I mean, like your numbers can double, triple, even for your life list and if you can hit a migration route and you know i'm assuming like dolphin island when we go there if we hit it right we can probably come back with 60 70 awesome you know between shorebirds Mm -hmm. and different warbler species that we don't get out here in montana so yeah Uh, ryan and i in may we're going to biggest week uh up in uh by lake erie in ohio and apparently there's like black burning and warblers just like right off the boardwalk and you have to use a wide angle just to get a picture so yeah, see, that's excited. actually in my in my folder on my computer for places to go oh awesome up so, there so yeah i probably okay. won't make it there this year but yeah no worries yeah a lot of people go up there so it's probably very crowded but um is that your first yeah. time henry going up there it is for me uh at this time of year yeah i've visited just done some landscape stuff but never birding so okay. off yep. season so to speak mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but if you guys if you guys can make another one in the spring south padre island Ooh. um and that golf there south in South Texas is a phenomenal place. Um, yeah. That's a great place for migration. Uh-huh. So, I'm going to an island in Florida in April, North Captiva. It's kind of remote. So um, that's got like, I know it's really famous for its frigate birds. So I'm excited about that. Never seen that before. So yeah. we got those in, in, when I was in Belize. I didn't get any really good photos of them, but we got mm-hmm. to see quite a few. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. With, with spring coming up, is there anything like particular, like target birds, warblers, anything that you're really you know chasing after? Um, when we go down to the island, I really want to try to get some really good shots of cerulean warbler, um, black-throated gray, if I can, um, black burnian. I don't have any really good shots of that yet. Um, and then, of course, I'm always looking for really good grizzly bear pictures when they come out of hibernation. Um, and then I'd like to get some more uh, first of the year young as far as wildlife goes, you know, um, calf, elk, on deer, that kind of thing. I've got a few, but not uh, not a whole lot yet. And that's kind of something I wanted to focus on in the spring. Cool. Yeah, that's the awesome part. It's always something to see in spring, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing your work on that. It'll be awesome. I appreciate that. So yeah, of course, I like it. I enjoy your guys' work too. That's for sure. So thank you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. we appreciate that. Uh, and this has been a great episode. I mean, this has been one of my favorites. If I'm being honest, you're you're a great guy, and you take some great photos. So thanks, I appreciate it. So actually, only my second podcast I've ever done. So. Oh cool, yeah, cool. Yeah. What's the other one you've been on? Um, it was a. Uh, it's called the Big Fat Podcast. It's a local guy here in, where I live that started doing one. I think he's only up to seventeen or eighteen episodes, but we'd nice. known each other a long time. So, and it turned out to be like a two-hour podcast. It was pretty fun. Wow, cool. That's awesome. So what about what about you guys? Do you have any targets this spring? Um, yeah, for me, this is just like my first like serious birding year. So I'm just gonna hit warblers hard. Yeah, I'm already doing research on like 
uh, wildlife refuges and habitats. So, um, you know, prothonotary, um, black and white, you know, just pine warbler, just your basic ones, get all those. And when I'm in Ohio too, I can get some of the more rare ones checked off my list. So. Yeah, I did see one of you guys got a snowy the other day. Oh yeah. Down. So oh, that, that's interesting. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Ryan <laughs> and I were to actually it. together for that. Um, so I so I, my grandparents live kind of near Ryan up in Ohio. Um, so I was visiting them. So I finally got to meet Ryan in person for the first time. Um, and we shot all day and we went to this lake, uh, around noon. Um, and we were, we were shooting a mockingbird, right? It was, yeah. Yeah. I, like, cause I, I know my neck of the woods a little bit better. So I was just uh-huh. like, Hey Henry, let's go to this like local state, um, near like Southwest Ohio. And uh, a few minutes later we get there and like in the parking lots of Northern Mockingbird, like just off in the tree line. Um, so we're just like, you know, scoping it, looking at it, taking some photos of it for like, probably what, like five, 10 minutes maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then these, uh, local people, uh, this couple, uh, comes by and I, I've heard their names before, but I never met them in person. And they're like, Oh, we got some reports today of a snowy owl like that morning. And so we just basically followed, tagged along, and uh, we ended up looking around, scanning the lake. We saw people on the other side of the lake because they had a report over there that it was, like, flown over there. And so we all but given up, all four of us. So we're all walking back to our cars, and it was just, like, perched on the sign next to the beach in, like, the marina. Mm-hmm. And it was just, like, it was, like, we were pretty close up on it, but, like, within reason, of course. But it was just a wild moment to see that after we'd given up. Yeah, and I was, like... Hey Ryan, is that a snowy owl? I was like, no, it's probably another plastic bag because we had just been looking for like an hour. It was just <laughs> plastic bag after plastic bag, but it ended up being a snowy. And yeah, we shot it for about an hour. Um, and you know, it was funny because everybody was on the other side of the lake, like Ryan mentioned. You could see them, you know, get the the alerts or whatever. Um, and they were all driving over these big lines of cars. So, but we were the first ones. Uh, so. Yeah. I'm a little jealous. I uh, snowy owls are one of my target birds, and we get them here in the winter in Montana. And this year, there happens to be a ton of them. Mm-hmm. And um, I have to go about three and a half, four hours north before I can start getting into where they uh, where they're at. And I actually went up there last weekend, and it, we had like sixty mile an hour winds for the entire time I was there. And I mean, I didn't see any snowy owls. I was kind of bummed and. Um, I looked on one of the Facebook pages that Montana owls or something like that. And one of the roads I was on the same day I was there, uh, uh, somebody posted, like, I got my first snowy owl pictures. And I'm like, really? Oh, geez. I mean, you know, so I'm jealous of anybody that gets photos of a snowy owl because I really want some. And I just, I haven't been able to close the deal yet, but I'm not giving up. I've got about another month and a half before they'll start migrating back north. And hopefully I can seal the deal. Awesome. You yeah. Know. Good. The nice time. thing about bird photography is if it doesn't happen this year, it can happen next year. So. Oh yeah. Right. Especially the snowy owls because it's like a toss up with the eruption years and all that stuff too. Which I feel yeah, like this, like this this winter has been like the case for that at least here in the Midwest. Yeah, this year's definitely an eruption year. I mean, the numbers are phenomenal. Like mm-hmm. northeast or northeastern and northwestern Montana has a huge number. Like people are seeing five and six and seven a day. Wow. So you know, it's just it's just a matter of you know, me connecting with one and mm-hmm. wanting the, want the photo. I mean, I'd love to get one with the Alpen glow on them at, you know, right before, right after sunset uh, yeah. and, or right before sunrise, you know, I'm, 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 I want everything in my one shot, you know? Mm-hmm. So, right. Right. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know about you, Henry, but it's like that day for the two of us. Like, I feel like the experience and the story is more special than like the photos we took. Oh yeah, for know? sure. Yeah. I love the yeah. photos, but like, yeah, I definitely agree. 
Uh, it was like overcast light, so uh-huh. it wasn't the most flattering. Yeah, but yeah. But one of the one of the signs, it was pretty funny. Um, it had like these all these like expletives on them, and we, I cloned them out and stuff. But it was it was kind of funny. But he did end up landing on the ground, so we got some better photos there. Or I think it was a she to, actually. Yeah. But yeah, and you got to experience it together. You know, I think that's oh, yeah. that's something else with photography that I haven't been able to experience anywhere else. I mean, hunting, yes, but the closest thing to it would be photography. And when my best friend and I get to go, when Zane and I are out on a trip together and we get to experience that same thing and then we talk about it all year you know I mean, he lives <laughs> in alabama so we only see each other a few times a year you know and so it's like dude remember when we were taking pictures of this and remember when i went this way and you went that way you got the cerulean warbler and i got nothing you know i was like <laughs> you know so it's just yeah it's so great i mean yeah. it's like we've been best friends since we were three years old i think um our parents have been best friends forever but uh just this experience like we would we meet each other to go hunting and then once we both started taking pictures it's like you know we're doing all these trips to all over the u.s a couple times a year and it's made our friendship even stronger so definitely something cool that you guys got to experience that together for sure and for our first time meeting too it's like sets the expectations high so yeah and i didn't know you guys didn't meet each other i didn't know you guys were not like I figured you guys have known each other a long time by the way you guys. Yeah, are so I mean, we we just met through this uh, other photographer who made a group chat, um, and I guess we we kind of just commented on each other's posts, and then I, I came to Ryan and another guy about the podcast, and uh, the other guy dropped off pretty early, but Ryan and I just kept going and built our friendship from there. So, dude, that's awesome. That is that's freaking cool, man. It's, yeah, you know, it's just something that you know something like a hobby or a, a lifestyle like this can can do. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yep. And I think, you know, people talk about the negatives of social media, but one of the positives, really all the connections you can make with other photographers. So, yeah, yeah, like the three of totally. us. <laughs> totally. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. I mean, I would have never imagined, you know, five, six years ago being on a podcast, talking to other photographers that have the same passion that I have for it and like meeting some of the people that I've aspired to, like Ron Hayes and mm-hmm some of those other guys so that's that's pretty cool and then wanting to i'd love to go shoot with ray hennessy just oh, to yeah. watch him one day Same. you know or theodore i think you guys had theodore on not too long mm-hmm. ago didn't you yeah that was yeah so i've never episode. met him but just mm-hmm. his just his photographs you know and scott keys i mean watching his bird photography yep. holy cow mm-hmm. and so. what's crazy about like scott keys and theodore too they have day jobs like just yeah, like yeah us, so i mean it's, they, it's yeah it's just crazy. like us yeah you know yeah we're and jason yeah, Jason Loftus. I don't know if you guys are familiar with his work yep, out yep. of Utah. He has mm-hmm. a full time day job still too. Mm-hmm. You know, and man, I was I'd... actually almost got to go shoot with him out this coming oh, weekend, wow. but yeah. I just couldn't get it to work out. So. I'd love to shoot with those wild and exposed guys someday. They're such yeah. an inspiration. Yeah, they're great. They're great guys. Like I said, I got to visit with Ron a little bit today, cool. even over the phone. So we're making some plans for some spring trips. Awesome. We, we only live like four hours apart from each other. So wow, cool. But. Heck yeah. Henry got me turned on to that podcast. Yeah, it's, it's great. They have a great show. They do. So like between that one, you guys, and then honestly, Joe Rogan. I don't know who doesn't listen to Joe Rogan anymore these days. I know, right? Uh, yeah. You know, my, my podcast, <laughs> my cash is pretty full, you know, uh-huh. between the three of those. So, Well, I appreciate you putting us on the same level as Wild Exposed and Joe Rogan. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that a lot. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> You've made it now. Maybe you'll be popular someday, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, no. we'd all we all wish for the was it 1.2 billion oh, listens yeah. a day or something like that that I rogan did. gets mm-hmm. yeah yeah I mean, 
Henry and I do this for the love of it, I think, first and foremost, which, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully we'll never lose attitude. <laughs> no, and I don't think we will. I mean, obviously, you guys are as passionate as I am about it. And I mean, what are you guys, half my age? So you got a long way to go. Yeah, I'm It'll only be... 17, so I got a long way. What? Yeah. 17? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 26. So, you, so are you actually still in high school then? Yeah, I'm graduating in May, so. Right on. Yep. Dude, you got it figured out. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Well, I don't know about that. that but... <laughs> yeah. no. soon, oh, I yeah. know what I, I know what I was doing when I was 17, and it sure as hell wasn't <laughs> taking pictures. <laughs> yeah. So. You still yeah, have to get in some high school adventures occasionally, but you know. Totally. Pictures as well. Yeah. Totally. Enjoy, enjoy your teens while you have them. Mm -hmm. That's all I can say. Yeah. Yeah, because the next thing you know, you turn 40 and you're freaking out about it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, actually, I'm not. I thought it was going to be a big deal, but I still go to the gym six days a week, and I can still outlift most of the teenagers and 20 year olds that are there, and I can, wow. I can hold my own in the mountains for a week on end, and you know, so I'm doing pretty good. I feel pretty good about it. Awesome. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, yeah so that's, that's, thanks for coming on tonight. That it was a great episode. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. Like I said, it was fun. Yeah. Cool. And uh, uh, all of Cole's here. work is down below. Um, you, you have an Instagram, a website, is that? Yeah. So I've got an Instagram. Um, it's just chasing the wild outdoors. Um, I've got a website that's pretty much just for, you know, documentation purposes. I mean, there's photos on there that I would never sell, but they're on there because I would like to see how I progress. And that's just chasing the wild outdoors at uh, .com. uh, Facebook chasing the wild outdoors. And then I have a blog too that's not – I'm a year behind on it just because it's – I don't know. It's time-consuming, but I do I do update that blog. Um, it's Chasing the Wild Outdoors as well. I think it's a WordPress blog. So I'm out there a little bit on the socials. Not not crazy though. Awesome. So yeah. yeah. Thanks so much, Cole. Hey, you bet. Thanks for having me, guys. If yeah, you ever want to come back on again, just let us know. Anytime. Anytime. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for watching the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the video version on YouTube as well. You can subscribe down below, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you.